Hello everyone, welcome back to Blood Talk, and we are back again, uh, doing a ranking of every single Spider-Man film. Now, put it this way, I'm not a major comic book film fanatic, I know a ton about the comic books, I know a ton about the comic book films, and I have seen a lot of them. However, comic book movies have never been massive favourites of mine. I enjoyed Infinity War. I quite liked Endgame. I quite liked The Dark Knight. Uh, even a fan of Batman 1989. Heck, I have a soft spot for how bad Batman and Robin is. However, none of these really are any of my favourites. Probably wouldn't make my top 50 favourite films ever. There's only a few. And I'm not going to spoil the list. But there's a few... Spider-Man films that not only make my top uh, 50, not only make my top 30, but two of them I'm pretty sure are in my top 10 films ever. Um, I'm not too sure why Spider-Man has stuck out to me more than any other comic book hero ever. Probably due to the relatability of Peter Parker as a character and the Spider-Man character being a uh, quite an enigmatic interesting uh yet relatable being and it's always grabbed me um and it's all always um stuck me to the to the films always coming back to rewatch them so of course i'm going to watch no way home in a few days um garfield Maguire might be in the film they might not be i'm hoping and they probably might be but, of course, I'll do a review on that when it comes to it. And I'll I'll kind of maybe, like, do a little Im implication of where it'd place in my list um, on here. And I can see it probably being, if, if it's good enough, I can see it being a solid fourth place. Um, I wonder what that tells you about what my ranking's going to be. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um... I suppose without further ado, we may as well get into it. So, uh, in last place, and you know what, I'll just say up front, none of these movies are really that bad in my opinion. I think all of them have something to enjoy, um, enjoy about, and even this last place film isn't one I, I hate, it's not even one I dislike, I actually quite liked it. But that is Spider-Man Homecoming. Bet that shocked you, didn't it? You were expecting either Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man 2, or even The Amazing Spider-Man. Nope, um, I'm giving it to Homecoming. And it's, it's not because it's really bad, like I say. Um, it's not because there's... Um, yeah, it's not because I have any massive particular problems with it. It's just that the other ones are better, in my opinion. But there is also a lot in this that i don't like i must say um starters in the major one being the kind of crossover it has with the mcu and oh i better put this up up, up front uh no like movies which spider-man's appeared in that aren't his film will be on here for example like infinity war or avengers civil war or i'm uh, um, sorry captain america civil war or uh, Endgame, they won't be on here because it's not a Spider-Man orientated film. And you know what? That's probably why this film is last on my list because 
while it is a Spider-Man film, there's so much more focus on all the other characters, even someone like Iron Man. And you know what, Iron Man is obviously an Uncle Ben standing here, but he's not... <sighs> right, put it this way, Uncle Ben is, in terms of impact, easily had the most impact on Spider-Man's life. Oh, well, Peter Parker's life. He's the reason Peter is the way he is. But in Homecoming, they don't even pay lip service to Ben's death or the way Spider-Man is. Like, I do understand that there's been two Spider-Man origins at this point, and they don't need another. But you could at least pay a little respect to Uncle Ben. Like, Spider-Man 2 and 3 from the Raimi films weren't, you know, they weren't redoing the origin, but they still at least acknowledged Uncle Ben's existence. In fact, Uncle Ben wasn't even, like, a confirmed character until Far From Home, I'm pretty sure, when Peter has his uh, briefcase thing. Uh, and that really shocks and hurts, because it's Iron Man who ends up being the Uncle Ben here. But Iron Man is physically competent. Iron Man, in fact, Iron Man's arguably a stronger superhero, it probably is a stronger superhero than Spider-Man. So it doesn't feel as... It, it just doesn't feel the same way, because Uncle Ben was a kindly old man just trying to make his way in the world, whereas Iron Man is already the super-class hero who Peter looks up to. But, and I know everyone's been saying this, but he is Iron Boy Jr., and it just kind of ruins the film a little bit, in my opinion, because there's so much focus on Iron Man and the Avengers which kind of detracts from Peter's story and origin and character himself. The reason why I prefer The Amazing Spider-Man and um, Tobey Maguire's first film to this is simply for that fact. They were Spider-Man or Peter Parker orientated films. They care more about the character than uh, the things around the character. Um... And that's the thing, the Avengers having such an impact on Peter, I'm just not a fan. Uh, the Vulture's a good villain, though. I will say that. Um, I think getting Michael Keaton in the role was quite a clever move. Uh, he's obviously not the most physically threatening Spider-Man villain ever. But he does he does feel like a Spider-Man villain, if you know what I mean. Like, he has personal ties to Peter, and he feels menacing, and he's he's got... A lot of gravitas to him. Um, I think there's even a bit of, tw of a twist in uh, the story uh, with him and his motivation as well. Like once again, understandable. But once again, linking back to Impact, his motivation is because of Tony Stark, and it just kind of ruins the experience a bit because Spider-Man is such a great character because although he's a good-hearted hero. Most of the villains he creates are kind of caused by himself or, like, aren't stopped immediately because of him. Like, a lot of the bad things that happened in the Raimi films were simply because of Spider-Man, whether he failed to face responsibility or went egotistical in Spider-Man 3. And that's why those films were so good, Consequence. But the Tom Holland films just throw consequ Consequence out of the water and... It might sound silly, but Consequence is, like, 
probably the biggest part of Peter's character. And it's what makes him so unique to other superheroes. I mean, the reason why Parker is so popular is because he ruins his life by being Spider-Man. Like, one day he's out there saving the saving a poor innocent child. He's missing his science exam, whatever. Or his grades are failing. And that's the consequence of being Spider-Man. Tom Holland lives a cushy life in these films. There's no consequence to him being Spider-Man. Put it this way, right? If you're going to compare each Spider-Man actor to a Bond, a James Bond portrayal, you could say that Andrew Garfield's a bit like the George Lazenby of the lot. He's still light-hearted and uh, jokey, and he's got that personality. But you do... Uh, Call there is a certain melancholy to his character, and of course, the best comparison is Bond lost Tracy, Garfield lost Gwen, and yeah. Whereas Toby, he's like a Pierce Brosnan type, uh, maybe Daniel Craig Mick hybrid, because he shows the reality of being Spider Man. But he is also having fun at the same time, in in a way similar to Garfield. Whereas Tom Holland is easily the Roger Moore, uh, the Roger Moore Bond of the three Spider-Men. What I mean by that is nothing bad really happens to him. I get there is the off moment where he's you know stuck under that rubble and he was crying and stuff, uh, or of course in Infinity War when he actually dies. Or, or even the conversation he has with the Vulture in this film in that car, where the Vulture does come off as genuinely intimidating. It it gets weighed down, because none of it really has, like, a permanent effect on Peter. Um, and that just kind of ruins it a bit. Like, you think, what's the point of all this bad stuff happening if it's not going to have an effect on him, on him later on? Um... Like, obviously, for a, you might be calling me, if you are a Bond aficionado like myself, you might be calling me a hypocrite and saying, well, Pierce Brosnan was a little bit like that in The World Is Not Enough. And yeah, but you don't really expect that from Bond anyway, to be honest, especially Brosnan's Bond. You come to expect him being a happy-go-lucky character, so he was a happy-go-lucky character. It would almost be out of character for him to have such a... Uh, unhappy and angry aggressive mood so it's fine with that but it's really not with homecoming because spider-man you expect all these things to shape and define him but no what defines spider-man in these films it's not because of uh the consequences of his poor actions and poor decisions it's certainly not because of uncle ben no, what shapes and defines this ver this version of Spider-Man is um, Tony Stark and not Stony Dark. Uh, Stony, oh my god! <laughs> not because of Tony Stark's wisdom and his powerful words, which you would say for Uncle Ben. No, it's instead because of Tony Stark's tech and armored suits. Whereas Tobey Maguire was inspired by. Uncle Ben's final words that he ever heard said to him and then I mean Andrew Garfield you can make an argument he was somewhat inspired by Uncle Ben 
and then somewhat inspired by Gwen Stacy. Either way, in fact, even better for Andrew, he was inspired by both, right? But Holland is inspired by someone who has so much tech that it it just feels unnatural for him to idolise this man. It It's like he wants to be Iron Man instead of being Spider-Man, and that is... The whole point of Pete, the whole point of Peter Parker's character is to want to be Spider Man. Tom Holland's Spider Man doesn't want to be Spider Man. He wants to be the next Iron Man, and it just kind of ruins the character, in my opinion, a little bit. Um, but you know what? As an overview of Homecoming, it's not a bad film, as I say. It's just I don't like a lot of the character decisions. Uh, once again, with like Aunt May, like while she's fit and all, the actress, I'll say that much. She's not developed. Like, she's certainly not on the level of the two actresses to played Aunt May in Amazing Spider-Man and the Raimi films. They were superb as Aunt May. This Aunt May's just funny. In It doesn't work for me. Because she's not got any of the serious moments. In fact, if anything, she... Uh, I think her and Tony Stark should swap roles in these films. Because Tony Stark's a constant with all his donor um if you're going to take props theory of characters into this then tony stark is the donor he he gives peter stuff whereas aunt may's just kind of like she just kind of has cameos here and there where there's a little funny moment with her um and while yeah it is quite funny that should be for tony and then aunt may should be the one constantly cheering up the scenery with some wisdom and yeah, and apparently, spoiler alert, so skip this part if you don't want the spoiler, but apparently Aunt May actually dies in No Way Home, according to rumours. And if she actually dies, and we've only had the development of her character from Far From Home and Homecoming, I just think that's a terrible misused character. And yeah, as I say, the other two Aunt Mays were way better. Anyway, um, so yeah, Homecoming is last place. Uh, but up just one. Oh my god, I'm going to get flack for this one. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse, funnily enough. It's mainly just because I'm not a big fan of animated films as it goes. I, I don't mind them, I'll say. I don't mind them. But I like see. I just like the novelty of watching live-action Peter Parker swinging around and it feels more realistic due to that. Whereas Spider-Verse, of course, it's intended to be unrealistic. But at the same time, because of that, it ruins a lot of what I personally like about the character. As I say, personally, this is a personal list. Honestly, what you'll find is my ranking of the films is actually... A lot of it is... Um, what I like out of the character of Spider-Man ranked more than... Well, obviously including, but more than just the film itself. It's more about the character and the use of the character. Which you could argue from a technical point of view and a writing point of view isn't practical. But, as I say, this is my opinion. And Spider-Verse is still an enjoyable watch, of course. I mean, didn't it win an Oscar for the best animation of 2018 and... If so, it definitely deserved it. It 
is a good film, a great film. I can see why people call it the best Spider-Man film, just in terms of, like, scale. I mean, when you do look at it from a scale perspective, it is the biggest Spider-Man film since Spider-Man 3. But, as I say, just personally, for me, animation is not my favourite. And the development of the other Spider-Men... You know, I... I like Miles Morales, and I like, is it Peter B. Parker? Um, But the other ones aren't really... Even Peter B. Parker isn't developed quite enough. And the other ones are certainly underdeveloped as well. And I know it works for the story it's in, but at the same time, I'm interested in these characters. So it kind of upsets me that we're unlikely to see them again. I mean, I know there's a sequel coming out, and we probably will, and maybe that'll elevate this film slightly for me. But, yeah, as it stands, I don't know really what else there is to say. I mean, I like Kingpin. I think they did well with Kingpin, even though he's more of a Daredevil villain. Well, more associated with Daredevil. He was originally a Spider-Man villain, but... um, While, yeah, he is more associated with Daredevil, he was an intimidating presence here, and he actually killed Spider-Man at one point, which shocked me the first time I watched it. Um, But yeah, Miles Morales does feel like an interesting Peter Parker, and there's some good action in here. Of course, being animated has limitless possibilities, and this honestly feels like it might be a kind of demo film for No Way Home, with all the villains crossing over and stuff. And it it was just a lot of fun. That's the thing. That's what I call, and a lot of people will call, a popcorn flick. It's where the actual quality of the film is it's good, but it's not like uh, it's not it's not exceptional. But in terms of just absolute fun, it it, it is an, a very easy watch. And if I was being asked by someone who has no interest in films. Like, they've said they've been forced to watch a Spider-Man film. And they want to choose the one that's the most entertaining. Then you'd probably choose this, or Far From Home, or possibly, like, Spider-Man 2. But this one, I'd say, primarily, would be the first pick for just pure entertainment. It's a good film. Not bad at all. It's just, yeah, personally, I'm not a fan of animated films, unfortunately. Uh, number six, and this is what many people will tell you should be last place, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which I only just watched for the first time, actually, a few days ago. It's not that bad, in my opinion. A lot of people really put it down. And what I will say is I kind of like how the three villains of the film, like, while it is so stupid of Sony to incorporate three villains in here, like, I get the idea, they're trying to do it to branch off and create a bunch of spin-offs but like the whole reason spider-man 3 was hated or the main reason probably was because there was so many villains in there that you didn't allow enough time for them all to be developed heck harry was developed enough anyway and barely had a further story to go to whereas this film had to introduce harry osborne and his whole motivation and character like In a way, Spider-Man 3 only had to introduce two villains and then just set up another. Whereas this film had to actually set up three villains and it's just way too much. Like, there's not enough time to completely develop them all. Like, 
I do like how each of the three villains kind of reflect Peter in a way. Like, uh, Harry reflects Peter in terms of uh, him thinking money's everything, whereas Peter, like, obviously is financially underdeveloped and he's not got a ton of money and he doesn't ask anyone for money. And there was that decent scene where Harry was begging Peter for his blood and he started trying to say, all right, I'll give you a certain amount of money. And, like, he was so confident in himself that that was what would make Spidey change his mind. But he didn't, because that's him. And I like how Electro also uh, mirrors Spidey, because Electro wants to be seen. He's an attention hoarder. He loves attention being on him, whereas Spider-Man, I mean, the guy wears a mask to make sure no one knows him. Um... And then while the Rhino, I suppose, is, is harder to make a case for how he mirrors Peter, you could say his uh, his mechanical suit at the end, which he's highly inexperienced with, contrasts Peter's not-so-high-tech suit, but he is experienced with. Um, and yeah, the Rhino is definitely the worst live-action Spider-Man villain by, by, by Miles. By Miles. Oh god, that sounds like a that sounds like a Spider Verse pun, but it's not. Um, he is definitely the worst live action Spider Man villain. Uh, actually, not because I think the villain performance is over the top. I mean, it is, but like Willem Dafoe's one was over the top, and Willem Dafoe's Goblin is my favorite Spider Man live action villain. But it's more because of how seriously, annoyingly underdeveloped he was. Like. I know Harry and Electro were somewhat undeveloped, but underdeveloped, but oh my god, the Rhino. He appeared in one scene at the start of the film for a brief action scene, and then he appeared in one scene at the very end of the film where he had a brief action scene. And it's just so, yeah, just. Uh, the performance was alright, but in my opinion, like it was over the top, but it was quite funny. But the character itself, nah. Electro was definitely the strongest of the three villains here. And he's developed enough, I suppose. But his motivation is really weird. Like, it's because he thinks Spider-Man betrayed him. And, you know, he obviously didn't. I know he's not meant to be the brightest, uh, the brightest spoon in the knife drawer or anything. But at the same time, it is a bit too dumb really. I mean, come on, you could have done better than that. And Harry Osborn, he's, like, again, I kind of understand his motivation, but it's so, like, underplayed, and Dahan's got, like, a really weird style of acting, which, in my opinion, just takes away from the chemistry with him and Peter, but, yeah, you know what, I'd say the best thing about this film by far is Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, and Emma Stone as well. I like how, of course, Peter breaks his promise from Captain Stacy, and that has consequences. Like I say, this is different to Tom Holland, because if this was Tom Holland's era, like with, put it this way, in Homecoming, the vulture threatens Peter to not go, was it to not, not go near his daughter or something in the car? It's a good scene. But he didn't have any consequences at all, because Peter did stay with the daughter, and nothing really happened, as far as I can remember. Whereas in this film, Peter breaks the promise, 
and it has consequence. It has severe consequences because Gwen ends up being killed by a villain, and that scene is incredibly sad as well. I know everyone's spoken about the death at this point, uh, which is why I've not really touched on it much. But that death scene is so good, so good. One of the best scenes in any Spider-Man film. Um, but once again, there's so much underdevelopment here because after it, Peter gives up on being Spider-Man for a while. But you don't really see him give up. You just see him give up in one scene and then come back once he hears Gwen's speech in the next. And yeah, when he comes back, it's cool and all, but still, it's underdeveloped. That's the thing about this film. This film is one of those films where it has some great ideas going for it, but in the execution, it's really lackluster. And it's annoyingly lackluster at times. But Garfield as Spider-Man and Peter Parker, wow. Wow, wow. Maybe objectively the best performance, or at least the most comic book accurate performance to any Spider-Man actor uh, ever, really. Uh, just that mix of uh, fun and energy and one-liners and puns and jokes and slapstick, but then also, yeah, that responsibility and the consequences and stuff, it... Yeah, it kind of reminiscent of Tobey Maguire in his second film a little bit, honestly. But yeah, in conclusion, really, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a very mixed bag. Uh, not as bad as people give it, in my opinion. But it's still, yeah, still one of the weaker ones. Moving up on the spot is um, <clears throat> The Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, Garfield's films are quite low. Uh, as much as Garfield is my second favourite cinematic Spider-Man actor, I must admit both of his films are quite lacklustre in quality. But where the second movie went too ridiculous and over the top and had completely underdeveloped great ideas, this film's kind of the opposite because it has a decent execution, but the ideas themselves are very... Mm, debatable. I mean... Just the character of Peter Parker in this is so, like, different to anything we've seen of Peter Parker before. He even turns into the villain for a while. And I know you could say that the uh, Maguire Parker turned into a little bit of a villain in Spider-Man 3. We'd seen that character for two movies straight, so to see him that way, it was kind of intentional for him to be out of character. And he bought it, whereas in this film... It's just kind of jarring to see Peter being a bit of a dick from the start. Um, and you know what? I think in Spider-Verse, if like Garfield's Spider-Man in this was in the Spider-Verse, it would work because he's from a different universe. But the one here, it just it feels so unlike any other Spider-Man actor, but almost like a betrayal of the character. Um, honestly, like, while Garfield does great in the role, and when he does eventually become Spider-Man in the film, he's decent, it's probably the second worst, aside Homecoming, uh, the second worst Spider-Man, written Spider-Man of any of the actors, really. Uh, which, yeah, it's unfortunate, because as I say, Garfield actually does really well. And the lizard, I like the lizard actually. I have a soft spot for the lizard, played by Reese Siphon. I think Kurt Connors is a great character. And they were obviously like teasing the possibility of uh, 
the Kurt Connors from the Raimi films in if there was going to be a Spider-Man 4 or 5 to have Kurt Connors be the lizard in those films but that never happened so they brought him in to this one and yeah I think the lizard while his character plan and villain plot is a bit yeah I mean turning everyone into giant lizards is a bit it feels a bit Doctor Who very bad Doctor Who villain thing um at the same time I think the character itself is good like especially Kurt Connors and especially um the the action scenes that we see with the lizard kind of felt like Doctor Octopus in a way not as good as Doctor Octopus but certainly some of the ideas I think are being used um and yeah Kurt Connors I have no problems with him I think that they shouldn't have really done the origin again uh to be honest like we'd seen it less than 10 years ago in fact no exactly 10 years ago at that point and it just yeah we didn't need to see it again especially when it's to a lesser extent and especially when it's different and not in a good way um but Garfield and Emma Stone like everyone's already complimented them and their chemistry in this film a hundred times at this point so I don't even need to do that but and you know what Captain Stacy is a character I quite like him uh the Stan Lee cameo is pretty funny and the action is genuinely really good but yeah it's only one step up from Amazing Spider-Man 2 in my opinion due to a better execution and because I like the main villain a lot more than the three villains in Amazing Spider-Man uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 um so yeah still not an absolute banger but it's, it's still okay in my opinion and <clears throat> you know what considering that I've placed both Garfield films against each other Maybe it's a good idea to do a kind of overview of them all to round it up. Um, Garfield's great in both of them. Emma Stone's great in both of them. There's, Electro's a decent, if not, you know, a little, albeit little, stupid at places. Uh, Resize Fancy's a good lizard. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think they're just, they feel like a downgrade from the Raimi series, but... Garfield's uh, portrayal as Spider-Man is still still very good and well worth watching both films for that, I think. Um, but yeah, number four, Far From Home. And not Far From Home. Yeah, Far From Home. Sorry, I get confused with these titles. No Way Home and Far From Home are really confusing me now. Alright, Spider-Man Far From Home. I remember watching this film on an illegal website when it was still in the cinema. And I loved it. I really did at the time of first watching it. I thought, wow, this is actually pretty good. The more time's gone on, I've liked it less. But it's still, I mean, still fourth place. I mean, it's still pretty high. Um, it's mainly due to Mysterio. I've always been a fan of Mysterio before this film came out. So to see his presence in the film, I was really hyped for it. Um, I, I loved him in the Spider-Man 2 video game as well. Like, 
that was brilliant back in the day. Um, but the main problem I have with this film is similar to the one I have in Homecoming. It's way too comedic. Like, there's not a single serious moment in this film. Or, you know what, there is, but I can't take them seriously because there's no consequences of them. Every serious thing that does happen in this film, which is few and far between, my god, they are... They don't last long at all. And the comedy is funny at times, and that is why it's at number four. Because honestly, if the comedy was not very funny then, Jesus Christ, this film would be lower than both the Amazing Spider-Man films, probably lower than maybe even Last Place. But because of the comedy and because I like Mysterio quite a lot, and Jake Gyllenhaal does do very well, I do give this film a bit of a, a, bit of a pass because of entertainment value, and it did really entertain me. Uh, Tom Holland's decent... I mean... Tom Holland is my least favourite of the live-action Spider-Man, but he did entertain me enough in this film to keep me watching. Um, the action's really good, as are the effects, um, as is everything you see on screen, really. Um, but, yeah, it's all... The reason it's fourth place and not any higher, the main reason, is just due to the writing again. Like, honestly, Tom Holland's Spider-Man has been taken in such a ridiculously uncharacteristic way for the character that we've come to love it's jarring and you know what in no way home they seem to be rectifying this a little bit from the trailers it seems like the whole plot of the film is that he's gonna get strange to cast a spell to get uh everyone to forget he's spider-man and because of this, and because of the choices Peter himself make, himself makes, he like, mucks up the univ the multiverse and stuff, and probably will cause the deaths of a few characters. Uh, so, to that, from that perspective, No Way Home's probably going to be Holland's most comic book accurate Spidey film. Maybe even one of the more comic book accurate Spider-Man films. But yeah, this one similar to Homecoming. It's entertaining and that's the only reason i give it above both amazing spider-man films but because they do lack in entertainment quite a lot and because yeah the action is really good here but yeah i just can't give it higher than fourth place i'm afraid uh still enjoyable enough though uh definitely a pop conflict Okay, but now I've done both Holland films, I can kind of do an overview of them. I, I suppose you could probably tell I really don't take to Holland in the character as much. I just don't relate to him the same way I relate to Toby or to Garfield. And while I'm obviously not a carbon copy of Peter Parker in real life, um, I only have very few things in common with the character. The things I do have in common with him, such as the coming-of-age growing-up angle... I really do enjoy that, and that is why I, I do prefer Garfield and uh, Toby, because they have to deal with consequence, and they have to deal with the things that a lot of us in our daily lives have to go through. It's that relatability that makes Spider-Man such a good character. He's realistic, and while he's also a fantasy, he does hold into the reality. Uh... And that is that is the character of Spider-Man. Whereas uh, I think that Garfield was 
too far into the reality. Okay, in Amazing Spider-Man 2, he did go into the fantasy a bit more. I think Tom Holland is way too far gone into the fantasy element. Way too far gone into it. And there's only one actor who I think perfectly balances the fantasy and the reality of Spider-Man. And that is Tobey Maguire. As I'm sure you can guess, Tobey Maguire is my favourite Spider-Man actor. And that's why this golden trilogy is my top three. Um, yeah, Tobey Maguire is the best one in my opinion. And I'll just give a brief reason as to why. Simply because he's got that balance of comedy and drama. Once again, while Garfield was too dramatic until, yeah, the second movie where he was, he did hit that balance. And Tom is way too comedic. Uh, Toby hits both marks and he balances them extremely well, thanks to Sam Raimi. All three of these films have beautiful things about... Honestly, more recently, I've kind of realised these films are a bit poetic. Very poetic, in fact. They feel like long, drawn-out pieces of poetry with a lot of detail and thought put into them. And, obviously, Raimi references that in the second Spider-Man film, when Peter becomes a lover of poetry for a short amount of time. But Spider-Man 2, we'll talk about that in a bit, because first, and in third place on my list, we're going to talk about Spider-Man 3. The one Spider-Man film that everyone hated for a very long time. People still do hate it quite a little bit today. And it probably like ranks very low on a lot of people's lists still. Maybe even rock bottom for most people. Do I agree with it? Not at all. Do I feel guilty? Not at all. I think this film is great. When I was... And people are going to tell me. Nostalgia is the reason I say this. I was four years old when I first saw this film. It was about 2010. Uh, my best friend, who is still my best friend after 10 years, uh, over 10 years, in fact, he was the one who introduced me to it because he was obsessed with Spider-Man 3 at the time. And so I watched it and I was likewise obsessed with it. I could remember buying a Spider-Man costume and jumping around my house and then running into my sand pit outside and trying to become the Sandman, uh, you know, as you do as you're a kid. And that kind of nostalgic element is what a lot of people believe is the reason that these films are so uh, heralded today, because the current generation of uh, woke movie fans are at the age to have seen Maguire and to have grown up with Maguire. While that is the case for me, and I loved all three of his films when I was younger, um, I'm going to go out here and say, nostalgia barely takes a part into how much I like this film, honestly. Like, for for the first ten years, actually, or so. No, maybe first eight years. Nine, eight, nine years-ish of me seeing this film. It was mainly due to nostalgia as to why I liked it so much. But now I've been able to kind of look at things a bit more objectively and you'd expect me to say it's really bad because of that. Oh no, completely the opposite. Possibly better, in fact. Um, and while this has taught me to realise it's not as good as the first two, I still find so much to love in this film. 
And I don't think there's that much wrong with it either. I think, you know what, the stuff with Emo Parker is cringy. It is hilarious, but it is also cringy. But you can at least see where Raimi's coming from. And you've got to imagine the pressure that the pressure that this guy is under. And, yeah, once again, you can see where the idea is coming from. And to an extent, it does work. Like, it is very needless to have him be this uh, over-the-top, egotistical, cool guy. But at the same time, he needs to be this over-the-top, egotistical, cool guy. Because the whole point of Spider-Man 3 is... Well, for Peter's character, ego. That's the whole point of his character. He's meant to learn to be able to handle his ego. At the start of the film, he, like at the start of the film, he's very similar to the symbiote version. Obviously, that amps it up even more. But he's still similar here. He's egotistical and stuff, and he's not able to see M MJ because of his egotism. And then in the second, um, the second half of the film, when he see when he actually gets the symbiote, that ego goes through the roof. It's only to the end of the film, the last half hour, the, the, the last time he opens his Spider-Man case and sees the suit and the music plays, and that scene gives me chills. Uh, it's only at that point when we get the old Peter back, and that's why he wins, that's why he pulls through, because he's had this character arc. The first Spider-Man film with Raimi is all obviously about responsibility, the second Spider-Man film kind of continues this whole thing of responsibility, but it's also about uh, sacrifice, a lot of it. So if the first one's about responsibility, second one's about sacrifice, this one's about ego. And yeah, sure, in execution, the way that he, uh, Peter's ego is handled is silly, it's over the top, it is hilarious, but it's over the top, but the idea's still there. And the idea works. And not only that, but the scenes aren't even too long either. I'm pretty sure they're only about two or three minutes long each. And that comes to six minutes of cringe. Right? There's a little montage of him which perfectly juxtaposes the montage from Spider-Man 2, by the way. Like, have you ever realised that? That poetic flashback? Um, there's that montage and then there's the dance number. But that's it. That is all there is for the over-the-top egotism. If you take those three-minute scenes out of the film, then most people's reason for hating this film is out of the window. Yeah, it is pretty silly, as I say, as I've said multiple times. But you need to understand Raimi's humour. Sam Raimi's humour is very ironic a lot of the time. If you watch the Evil Dead films or the Evil Dead TV show, you will understand this perfectly. He's a massive fan of ironic, slapstick, cringy humour. And it works. Like, this is funny. This is very funny. And it's also not out of character, because one minute he's doing the dance number, the next minute he's hit MJ. And that brings the drama back. It balances out the tone. And then there's consequences of him hitting MJ. If this was a Tom Holland film, and Tom Holland did all this ridiculous stuff... After him hitting MJ, he might have a moment of, oh, I can't believe I hit her, but then the next moment he'd be back to doing Spider-Man stuff. If it was Garfield, it would be constantly throughout the rest of the film, he'd be, oh, no, no, I, can't believe I, I still can't believe I hit MJ. Tom Holland would have no guilt, whereas uh, Garfield would have tons of it. Whereas Maguire hits the perfect mark of being guilty about it, but then also, because of Aunt May, learning to get over the guilt, 
learning to forgive himself. And that's just the perfect balancing of tone. And that's why this version of Peter works better for me. Um, obviously, as well, the three villains, yeah, they're not great, are they? Aside the Sandman, of course. The Sandman is perfect. But Harry Osborn, he had great development. Like, the funny thing is, the Harry Osborn from Amazing Spider-Man 2 had awful development, but... Uh, a very decent finale whereas Franco had a decent development but a pretty lacklustre finale for his villain I'm not saying a lacklustre finale for his character because he comes back as not the goblin to help Peter later on but I mean you could say the last scene of him being the goblins the bit where he gets hit in the face with a grenade it is a bit lacklustre but also him being hit in the face with a grenade and having half his face scarred and half his face not scarred like you might say it's a rip-off of two-face from batman or whatever but you could also say that it's a perfect mirror image i mean like he was harmed by the goblin grenade because of peter the goblin and peter half of his face is covered in hatred and, and failure and fear and anger which could represent emotions of the goblin whereas the other face the other side of his face seems to have a certain nostalgia and loyalty and uh, peace about him, which could represent Peter Parker. And that is the perfect, like, Raimi have been building that up for three films straight. And this is the thing. The reason I like these three films so much is because I can point something out like that. Maybe that wasn't even the intention. Maybe I'm just pulling that out of my ass. But the point is things can go deeper in these films than they can in the Amazing Spider-Man films or the Tom Holland, especially the Tom Holland films. Everything isn't as it seems. There's always a little Easter egg in there. There's always a clever bit of symbolism or thematic and it all works superbly. Uh, Venom is definitely my least favourite of the three villains here and he is, yeah, a little bit bad. But he's... He's still enjoyable for the scene he's in, and he's genuinely intimidating. And the symbiote especially works as a great contrast to Peter Parker, but also able to feed off his ego. It's like when the symbiote leaves Peter, it's like his ego's all leaving him. As I say, the Sandman's a perfect character, and while a lot of people hate the uh, idea that he was the one who killed uncle ben and it does feel a little bit deus ex machina um to do something like this to uh kind of make the events of the first movie a little, little bit untrue it doesn't harm the story it is a retcon but it doesn't harm the story of the first film in any way and it doesn't create any plot holes or anything so honestly i don't see the big palaver about it like i know it is a bit annoying retcons they are annoying but just think about what this would actually do to peter's character like you'd thought you'd killed like unintentionally killed the man who killed your uncle your father figure who you were responsible for letting getting away in the first place but then you find out years later that you didn't even manage to get the guy like that would have that would have such a severe effect on peter parker and it's clear and it works. And you know what? The Sandman hits the four... See, I have this theory. 
uh, I heard once, and it's that there's four main points that can make an amazing villain. And if you can hit all these points out of the water, you make an amazing villain. Uh, one of these points is a twist. The twist being Sandman killed Uncle Ben, which to Peter is such a massive twist of events, which also links to the second point being personal to the main hero. Like, him killing Uncle Ben is so personal to Peter. It's what started him in the first place. Then you got motivation. Probably my favourite thing about Sandman's character is he's not even really a villain because his motivation is simply to steal money to heal his poor daughter. Like, that's all. And then the final point is menace to make a scary, well, a good villain. And he does appear to be menacing, especially in the finale. That's why Sandman is such a great villain, because he, not only does he hit all four points of what makes a perfect villain, he absolutely knocks at least two of them out of the water. In terms of motivation and being personal, he absolutely knocks them out of the water. As I say, amazing, amazing villain. Venom, if you're going to use these four points, he works for Menace. He does not work really for Motivation. Uh, he doesn't really work for twists and uh, for being personal. I suppose the kidnapping of MJ is a little, little bit personal, but we've seen that before, so it, it doesn't really add anything, uh, does it? Um, then for Little Goblin Junior, menace. He's definitely the least menacing of the three, but he's got an element of menace to him. Then, in terms of being personal, yeah, he's very personal to Peter. In terms of twist, it's quite a twist when he gets amnesia. Then it's a twist when he doesn't get amnesia. And then, uh, in terms of motivation, you understand it. So Harry's a decent villain here. Then Venom is pretty bad, but he works for Menace. And then Sandman is outstanding. Um, also, yeah, the goblin getting amnesia for half the film is a bit, yeah, I, I will admit to that, that is silly. Like, he bumped his head, got amnesia, then forgot about the whole, coincidentally forgot about all the other elements of the other two films, and eventually gets them back for, for, the, for the finale. And it's clear Raimi was only doing that because he wrote himself into a corner and couldn't think of anything else. Um... But honestly, I heard someone say how this could have been stopped online and wrote, written a lot better. And I actually really do agree with this. And it's have Harry pretend he had amnesia and have him slowly working from the background, breaking Peter. And the more Peter's breaking, the more he's drive to the symbiote. And that's true. Raimi said the symbiote itself is like a metaphor for alcoholism or, or drug uh, abuse. And that it's perfect. It is perfect. This this ver this film as well. Some of the best music I've ever heard. Some of the best action I've ever seen. And oh my god, that Sandman scene, like the birth of Sandman, it's easily a top five favorite scenes of all time for me. That is such a beautiful scene and could honestly stand without the movie itself. This film is a bit problematic for the first hour, though, I think. 
I think it gets a little bit better the more it goes on. But it is problematic with the writing because it feels like a compilation of scenes instead of like a, a fluent story a lot of the time. Obviously, there are chronological things that are carried over, clearly. But when you look at things from a technical point of view, it does feel very kind of jumbled up and mixed into one. Because although all the scenes are very good, they're not put in the right order. It's not that they're not put in the right order at times. It just feels very, very rushed. I mean, they established three villains and Peter's main arc for the film in, like, what, 15 minutes? And like it, it's just too quick like maybe if the film was about half an hour longer you'd have a bit more time to develop these characters further and it would have possibly worked but as it stands the only problem the only big problem i have with this film is simply how rushed it kind of feels and how insane the pacing is um, but it's interesting, it's entertaining, it's very well done. Everything else is God-level, uh, God-level Spider-Man. And as much as people hated it, I think a lot of a lot of people have actually come around to it now, now that they've realised the only true awful thing about it was those three or so minutes of Emo Peter, which, as I say, it does work. It works in the context. Anyway, number two. Spider-Man 2, the one that everyone will tell you is the best one. When I was younger, actually, when I was like four years old, this was my least favourite of the three. Uh, I don't know why, but you know what? I think in recent years I have come to see why, and it's because thematics and symbolism. Spider-Man 3 has arguably the best action of all three films, but it has the least coherent story. But when you're younger, you don't really care about a coherent story. You just care about seeing Spider-Man beat the shit out of villains. So I liked it. But the older I got, the more mature I've got. Uh, like It's been 11 years since I first saw that film. Um, I've been able to understand poetic devices and symbolism and thematics a lot more. And because of that, it just made me realise how genius this film is. Like... The ideas are outstanding here. Outstanding. Like, just the whole thing of Peter being, like, uh, your everyday bloke, but with a, a very specific job, is perfect. Uh, the train fight scene is likewise, like what I said about the Sandman scene. The train scene is one of my favourite films uh, scenes in any film ever. And it's gorgeous. It's gorgeously shot, it's gorgeously lit, it's gorgeously acted, and it's iconic. It's completely iconic. One of the most iconic scenes in any comic book film. Maybe the most iconic scene in any comic book film ever. And it's very good. Um, Doctor Octopus, I absolutely love. He's my second favourite Spider-Man villain from live action. Um, he's absolutely amazing he's poetic he's the arms look amazing and alfred molina gives an outstanding performance this film's main strength though isn't the character of spider-man and that's what makes it so unique to every other one is that the strength of it isn't 
how good Spider-Man is, because usually that's what it is. It's about how good Peter Parker is as a character. Spider-Man in this film is, you know, he's good and all, but he's just your average Spider-Man. It's Peter Parker who shines in this film. And he does exceptionally well to be this relatable, nerdy type character who you all root for. But um, at the same time, he does have slightly unlikable moves and bad things about him. I mean, look at what he unintentionally does to MJ. Like, yeah, it isn't really his fault, but at the same time it is, and he has that responsibility. Um, I'm going to do a second part to this because I'm coming up to an hour now, and I've been speaking about Spider-Man for almost an hour straight. So... Yeah, um, I'll speak a little bit more in depth about Spider-Man 2 and then get on to eventually you know what the number one spot is. Um, but yeah, as it stands for now, this is my ranking of each and every Spider-Man film. And yeah, yeah I'll speak about the other two uh, soon soon enough. Maybe not the next one I do, but certainly soon enough. Um but yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening if you're up to this point, goodness me. And uh, I'd love to hear your opinions on this because obviously not many people are going to have the same opinions on this. So I'd love to hear your opinion. Just message me whatever I'd like to hear. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening. I'll see you later. Bye bye.